my story and the reason I think this podcast is worth listening all the way through until the end is because it's actually not at all about John and it's actually not at all about setting yourself on fire. It's about ordinary people doing extraordinary things as best they could. And because of that, what they taught a little boy who set himself on fire and then what we can teach others in our own life through our example, through our words, through our deeds, through our work, through our relationships. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am so excited about today's guest. I'm really grateful for all of the guests that come on our show, but the individual you're about to hear today is somebody that I have been really excited about and trying to get on the show for literally over two years, and I'm honored to have him with us today. John O'Leary is a number one national best-selling author and speaker. He inspires over 75,000 people at 100-plus events each year. He speaks to companies and organizations across industries such as sales, healthcare, business, safety, marketing, financial services, faith, education, and insurance. One of the things that John has also done is created his first book, On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. This was an instant number one bestseller and practically every category imaginable that it was placed in. And 120,000 plus copies have been sold and it's been translated into 12 languages. His Live Inspired podcast is a top 20 for business on iTunes and Inc. Magazine and his online community is over 200,000 strong. And you'll note that I didn't share anything of his background in this interview because the, or at this introduction rather, because the story is so powerful. I can't wait for you to hear it yourself. John, thank you so much for being on the show today. Dr. Richard, we need to lower expectations for this <laughs> podcast after an introduction like that one. So, I don't know about that. I, I think this is going to be a pretty special one. So you know, I, I kind of teased it and I do want to jump in because your story is frankly amazing. And I know there's so many people that have benefited from hearing it all over the world. And I'm grateful that you're sharing it with our audience today. Brother, let me just say again, I really am flattered and honored to be your guest. And I, you know, you, you, you framed the question beautifully, but what I would say back is everybody has a story. You certainly are living proof of this. And your podcast brings forward these incredible stories. And the reason why people listen is because we all have one. And we all wonder, what do we do with the struggles and the opportunities we face every day? And then through your guest, and I hope to, be, hope to live up to it, we start to hear solutions that we can apply in our own life. So I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be part of this thing today. Thank you so much. And so let's jump into your story because your story began when you were very, very young. So take us through the beginnings of this event that changed your life forever. Being born was a good starting point for that one. But, but beyond that, at age nine, I witnessed boys in my neighborhood playing with fire and gasoline. And as a child, you figure if they can do it, so can I. 
So with my dad at work and my mother out with a couple of siblings, I walked into the garage, bent over a can of gasoline. The plan was to pour just a tiny safe amount of gasoline on top of a burning piece of paper. And before the liquid came out, the fumes, right? The fumes, the stuff you can't see. They came out, they grabbed the flame, created a massive explosion, split the can in two, picked me up, and it launched me 20 feet against the far side of the garage, entombing me and trapping me, covered in gasoline, surrounded by flames, and on fire myself. So that's the starting point for this crazy, tragic, and beautiful story that I know you want to talk about together. So... That in and of itself is like, and it's almost like you you created that perfect like cut to commercial right when like something explosive happens on screen. But you're nine years old and you're on fire. Do you remember in that moment what what it was like? What was going through your mind? Well, it's funny you and I talked earlier about your incident when you uh, faced a near death episode. And the wild thing about this, for those of you who've been through it, is how much you do remember. I know some people go into shock clinically. Uh, In some regards, I was fortunate not to, which means I remember in great detail, not only the explosion moment, but being on the far side of the garage, seeing orange things dancing around me as a child, having no clue at that point what they were, just recognizing that I was really in trouble here. Like You know when you're hurt and you recognize when you're in big trouble. You're not even sure where the pain is originating. I just knew I was in trouble. So I, I took off running for my life. I came through the flames back into my mom and dad's house. I came into the kitchen and the family room, stood on top of a front hall rug, just screaming for help, you know, begging and praying for a hero. I remember thinking, God, I'll take anybody. And I saw my older brother, Jim. He was 17. I was nine. And as he ran toward me, I remember thinking, anybody else, right? Not this dude. He's my brother. He can't do anything. I need a firefighter or a hero. And yet, and you know this, sometimes it's the least you might expect who show up and become the heroes for the day. And that's certainly been the story throughout my entire life. It's, it's very seldom the people that I would have expected who showed up. And yet it's in the people who did show up into why I'm with you today and, and why I have the remarkable life that I have. It's, it's the ordinary hero. And on that day, it was my brother, Jim. He picked up a rug. He beat down the flames. He burned himself in the process. But he's one of the great heroes that shows up in this remarkable epic tale. I think it's so interesting what you mentioned is that we are all, we all have the capacity to be heroes. And that, you know, you you probably like prior to that point in time, if your relationship with Jim was like with that of most brothers, you know, you probably, you know, have that adversarial older brother, younger sibling kind of rivalry, and yet he saved the day. He did, and he had not saved any day leading up to it for (laughs) nine full years of days. That's a lot of opportunities. He missed all of them. Yes, indeed. Even even in saying that, I think what I hope your listeners and you and I hear loud and clear is even if you haven't seized the day, even if you've let a whole lot of opportunities pass you professionally or personally, and you're in the midst of crisis financially or whatever it may be, maybe today is the day. And maybe now is the moment. And maybe this next explosion is your chance to show up and do something that no one saw possible in you, but in the quiet of your own heart, you knew it was possible. And then you revealed it to the world, the world that is starved for it. I mean, we are longing. There's so much negativity out there. We are longing for examples of brightness, of light, of selfless love, of sacrifice. They're out there. 
But rather than it just being out there, why not just, why not it be all of us? Let's just be that example for those around us. And, and one of the things that I think is, is so powerful about that statement, John, is we don't need to get ourselves lit on fire for that to happen. We don't need to almost die to truly live. You know, well said. When I wrote the book on fire, it came, when it sent it off to Simon & Schuster, that's our publisher, they came back with a book title. And the first draft was a picture of John O'Leary on the front of it. And we sent that back because the reality is that book and this message and the statement you just made, you don't need to set yourself on fire. That's true for all of us. My story and the reason I think this podcast is worth listening all the way through until the end is because it's actually not at all about John and it's actually not at all about setting yourself on fire. It's about ordinary people doing extraordinary things as best they could. And because of that, what they taught a little boy who set himself on fire and then what we can teach others in our own life through our example, through our words, through our deeds, through our work, through our relationships. It's interesting. and. I want to ask you a question that I'm thinking about because what happens to us in life and what shapes us are these experiences. So after you were set on fire and Jim beat you down with the rug and put out the flames and clearly called 911 and got you off to the hospital, what were the things that you were thinking about when you were in the hospital convalescing? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great physician question. So as I was convalescing, convalescing... The very first thing I remember thinking was, uh, like, this is bad. If we're going on a deeper dive together, and I'm open to it, I remember thinking, I want to die because physically the pain was so intense. You can certainly uh, connect with that. And then secondly and separately, but equally as important as the emotional pain was so intense. Not only knowing what I'd done to my body, you know, I'm burned on my 100% of my body, not my face. It's only uh, second degree. But the, everything from my neck to my toes is third-degree burns. As a child, you can see that. And so I saw my hands kind of crumbled up. I saw my torso, my chest, my, like everything was a train wreck. And then most directly, the question, I, the answer I almost gave you right when you asked the question is what I remember thinking most clearly was my dad is going to kill me. It, it is like the most pervasive thought I had that morning sitting and then laying in the emergency room, looking up at the bright light. I distinctly remember thinking all that I've shared with you already, but specifically, oh my Lord, the, the wrath of my dad, he's going to kill me. And the, the amazing thing is he was the first one into the room that day. He came directly from the office, of course. He ran past security and past the doctors, past the nurses. He found his son back there, pulls back the curtain. I remember seeing him approach thinking, oh Lord, you know, he's come to finish me off. And uh, he walks right over to me. He points down Dr. Richard and he says very firmly to me, John, look at me when I'm talking to you. So I look up at my mean dad and then he says, I have never been so proud of anybody in my entire life. And my little buddy today, this morning, I am proud. I'm so proud to be your dad. And then he says, and I love you. I love you. I love you. And As a little boy, I crossed my arms and shut my eyes and thought, oh my gosh, nobody told my dad what happened. The the, the old man doesn't know what went down. Maybe I can fool him. Maybe my brother's in the garage right now. I mean, who knows? And yet for your listeners who uh, are aunts or uncles or moms or dads themselves or who've ever been exposed to true love, you know exactly what's going on. Uh, My dad knew what happened, but he also understood what mattered. And sometimes there's a difference between the two. As a physician, you would understand this. And as a patient, and as a man, you would understand this. 
But my, my dad came into that room knowing exactly what mattered. And in doing so, he was free to step away from fear and open up his mind and his heart to love. And I know that may sound trite or uh, puppy doggish or rainbows and butterflies. Yet there's, there's nothing soft about understanding what ultimately motivates you forward in life. And if it is fear, which is motivating our politics, which is the one topic we don't talk about here, or if it's motivating you strictly in your faith, or if it's motivating you in the way you show your business or relationship, uh, you're in trouble. And so are those that you work and serve and love with. But when you choose to show up from a place of openness, from a place of possibility, from a place of connectivity, and uh, in being in awe of life and in love with it all, it changes you and then it changes those you interact with. And, and that's my experience hanging out with my dad that day. That's amazing. And was that the thing that turned your perspective from wanting to die to wanting to live when he held, when he said, I love you? Was that the, the change element? I think it's, a, it's an equation here. So it's X plus Y equals Z. And so the X is my dad. The Y is my mom. So for the ladies and the daughters in the room, this one's for you. But my mom came in right behind my dad. And um, she took my hand. And it's important you understand, I'm, I'm fresh out of the flames. The hand is not only warped, it's hot. And it's, it's scary. And this brave, bold lady, I get emotional just thinking about what she went through that day. She takes my hand very gently in hers, pats my bald head, and she says, I love you, baby. And I look up and I say, Mom, knock it off with the love. Am I going to die? You know, kids, she's getting right to the point. And I assumed that she would say, you're fine. We're going to swing you out of here today. And on the way home, we're going to get you a steak and shake or Wendy's. Your choice. Milkshakes is either one. And instead of providing false hope, she provided truth, which is what we need from time to time in our recovery, in our addictions, in our dreams, in our lives. We need people who love us enough to be honest with us. In her honesty, she said to me, baby, look at me. Do you want to die? Your choice, not mine. And I looked back at her kind of taken aback like you just were. And I said, mom, no, I don't want to die. I want to live. And her response was, then good, baby, look at me. You take the hand of God, you walk the journey with him, and you fight like you've never fought before. Your father and I will be with you on the journey. But baby, you got to want this thing. And so the second part of the equation, and I've never framed it as such, but that is what it is. Yes, my father's love was big. It was a turning point. But what allowed me to grab the wheel is my mom's demanding that I actually be accountable to it. Otherwise, I think I would have just passively waited for the nurse or the doctor or my parents or whoever else to show up and do the next best thing for me. But she made me realize, if you want something, act like it. If it's important to you, fight for it. And on that day, that's exactly what this, this little family began doing. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. We'll be right back to our interview after this. 
Hey, Daily Helping listeners, Dr. Richard here, and I am so excited to share with you something that we've been working on for the past 18 months. Introducing Personal Helping, which we created because everybody struggles with something. Want to lose weight, improve your relationships, or overcome long-standing obstacles? Then you need Personal Helping to smash your goals. Personal Helping utilizes a system developed by myself and my team of behavioral science experts, which incorporates the principles of neuroscience as well as technology. While personal helping is not therapy or medical advice, our personal helpers provide a unique perspective and accountability which can reinvigorate your life. Personal helping sessions are conducted in real time via video conference on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Go to thedailyhelping.com and then the personal helping section where you can download the Daily Helping app and sign up for your first session today. And now, back to the show. And so then you had essentially nine more years as a youngster and you know, going your working way through elementary, middle, and high school. So with that perspective, how were you able to apply that as you were growing up moving forward? My mother was the type who not only on that first day taught me accountability, but she also taught me that lesson on the first day I came home from the hospital. I came like five months in hospital, years challenges. I'm missing my fingers. I'm in pain. There's a morphine drip. It's, it's kind of a messy situation and I'm still in a wheelchair, but I'm home. We had a massive party that afternoon. The cars are pulled out. I'm home with the family, two parents, six kids, two golden retrievers. Life is good, but John can't eat. The beautiful thing is my beautiful sister, Amy, who I'm sure she's just, she's a big fan of yours. She's listening to this podcast. So Amy, this one's for you. She picks up a fork that's nearby. She grabs some potatoes, starts moving it toward my mouth, just serving me. And then my mother says to me, or says to her, Amy, put the fork down. If John is hungry, he's going to feed himself. And I remember turning away from the potatoes and away from that fork and my sister Amy and toward my mom and like shrugging, like, what are you talking about? I how could I possibly ever feed myself? I'm, I've got splints on. I have no fingers anymore. I'm never going to feed myself, mom. And she insisted if he's hungry, he'll feed himself. And to make a very long, somewhat emotional dinner, uh, truncated down for your podcast, by the end of the night, uh, she had ruined dinner. The table was cleared. The plate was flipped twice because I was so upset. But by the very end of the night, there's a little nine-year-old boy angry looking at his mom, but he's chewing food that he fed himself. And some people might say, well, that's awful harsh. Fair enough. That's certainly how I felt. But I've never had to ask someone else to pick up a fork for me. And I've never had to wonder, I wonder if I can do the next hard thing in life. My mother taught me an important lesson then that would be applicable for nine years of school, for four years of college after starting my own business. I recognize many of your leaders are entrepreneurs themselves. Starting my own business, there's not a whole lot of people feeding you, it turns out, in life. And if they are, that's a dangerous situation to find yourself in. It is so liberating when someone loves you enough and leads you forward to a degree that you are free to grab that fork in any realm you want to apply this, to pick it up, and to awkwardly feed yourself, recognizing the following day it's going to get easier. I love, I love the analogy as it relates to overcoming challenges in life. And, and I think, because I know that you're a, a humble person, 
the, the piece that I, I want the audience to know that I purposefully neglected from your introduction was that from a medical standpoint, you had a 1% chance of survival. <laughs> and and so, you know, to, to overcome, we talk about overcoming odds. I mean, that's, that's basically overcoming all of the odds. And it sounds like the lessons, the love from your parents, the, the lessons from your mother, grabbing that fork by yourself, those were the things that really pushed you through and, and helped you survive. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because out of context, it just sounds like a bad accident. But when you understand as a physician and now as a listener, 100% burns. And when you listen to this, what that means is they take that percentage of the body burned. So do the math at home. I know some of you are like, I I was told there'd be no math during this podcast. (laughs) Chevy Chase reference from Saturday Night Live. There you go. 100% burn at age. You got mortality. That's what it is today. The math in 1987 was much worse than that. So although the doctor said there's a 1% chance, the reality was there's no chance. There's no chance. So how does this little dude go on to survive and then fight and then thrive and then really have just a charmed, beautiful life today? The, the reason I love telling my story is because I don't tell it through the lens of the patient or the burn victim in quotes. I'm, I'm no victim to it. I tell it through the lens of the parent, the lens of a sibling, the lens of a physician like you, the lens of the nurses, and the janitors and the volunteers and the community, the, the God that showed up in a mighty way, what they did and the impact of their work in my life. And so I, I just would suggest to those of you struggling up a hill today is to turn off the news, to lean into a different truth, to see a different possibility for yourself, to surround yourself with incredible people, bigger and better and more loving than you, and to recognize that, that you're going to do this thing. And as you get to the top, then to recognize that you are called to go back down that hill and to help others who are also struggling. That we're not just invited in life to become successful. Success is boring. Uh, and that ultimately, what you find that when you climb that ladder, as you discover it was leaning against the wrong wall. So if you find the foundation, you ultimately discover what your life is ultimately about, what really matters. And then you encourage and guide and shepherd as many other people as possible to climb, to rise, and to cross that bridge with you. I love that. And the, the, that was so laden with beautiful metaphors and analogies. I, I want too many. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but they were right on point and, and so well said. I want I wanted to transition, John, and talk a little bit about your book, On Fire, because one of the things your book talks about are these seven choices that can radically change somebody's life. So take us through, I, I think I, the book, of course, shares the story that you've been sharing with us, but let's talk about these seven things. You know, so I'm going to start with one, and then if we can want to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper, we can. But I believe chapter four talks about, and, and uh, believe this, I wrote it. it. It talks about shifting from being a victim to being a victor. And like, what does that really mean? Are you a victim? Or are you a victor? And the story begins with John O'Leary, an older version of himself. So I'm, I'm a speaker. I'm at a maximum security penitentiary, and I'm speaking to a group of inmates. These are lifers. Like the, you and I, we'll hop off the podcast and you and I can pour ourselves lemonade and, and go check out the sunshine. They can't. Lunch is at noon and there is no lemonade being served today, boys. Sorry about that. And you're not coming out. So like these guys aren't going anywhere. And I was called in to train them on leadership, mindset, and possibility in their lives. So that there's the calling. So I'm in front of about 75 guys. I share the story about my dad's Parkinson's disease and how he's got this remarkable, grateful heart. 
He's just the most optimistic, amazing guy I've ever met and probably ever will meet. So I tell them this story, share some of the science around gratitude, what it does for longevity, what it does for vitality, what it does for health, what it does for heart health. I mean, it's, it's a huge ripple effect, choosing gratitude. So I share this. And then I give them about 90 seconds to reflect on what they're grateful for, specifically for being in bondage, for being in jail, for finding themselves at Fort Leavenworth. Okay, what are you grateful for, guys, for being here? There's a piano in the corner. My mother, this beautiful teacher, taught me that not only, not only can you eat, John, you can play, John, play everything. So she eventually even teaches me the piano. So I see this piano, and I start playing a little song on the piano quietly for 90 seconds. I come back, and I say, okay, guys, who wants to share? Who wants to share? And a guy in the back eventually raises his hand and says, uh, I'll share. In the very gruff voice, he responds, not one damn thing. And then he sits down and everybody starts laughing. And I say, oh, uh, brother, thank you for sharing that. That was articulate and elegant. That really helps move the thing forward. Anybody else want to share? And another guy stood. He had sandy brown, kind of rusty hair, a little bit long and unkept. And he was in the back row and he said, uh, I'll share, John. And I, again, I don't have the list in front of me right now, but he, here are some of the things on his list. He said, John, I'm grateful for three square meals. I'm grateful at Fort Leavenworth for the heat in the winter and the air in the summer was new. I'm grateful for our library. I'm grateful for the access to the internet once a week. I'm grateful for the chance to write letters to friends back at home. Grateful for the opportunity at redemption. Grateful for eyesight. Grateful for, to watch the sunrise. He went on this list. By the end of it, there were 37 items that he shared with this group of fellow inmates. When he finished speaking, this is the important piece, I think, the entire room wasn't laughing like they did with the first guy. The entire, get emotional. The entire team rose to their feet and celebrated what this guy had shared. The exact same four walls that bound them all, the same gray paint that kind of blinded them all, the same lousy meals and the same limitations, and the same reality that they're never getting out. One guy said not one damn thing. The other guy said 37 things and more each day that I'm looking for it. That's our choice every day. You know, we, some of your listeners, you may be in a penitentiary, but you get to choose how you view those walls, how you view your life, how you view your heart, your mind, and the opportunities before you. Others are the, the penitentiary of a difficult relationship or a difficult job or financial struggle. Others are on top of the mountain and they don't even realize how good it is. Because frequently what I find in my own life is when I'm rocking and rolling, I don't even know how good my health is, how strong my marriage is, how powerful my faith is. I just kind of take it all for granted. So what I want to encourage all of us to do to ensure we don't, we don't, is to ask yourself the question every morning, why me? And instead of asking it as a victim to the circumstances, ask it as a victor over them. And it will influence and alter how you view the walls, how you view the health crisis, how you view that mountaintop experience, and how you view the opportunities going forward. That's so powerful. And, and you started with one. I, I know there's six other ones. I think people are just going to have to buy your book and read it. But <laughs> I'll share as many no, as you want. But no, I, no, I, 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 that is such a powerful story. And, you know, there's, there's literally thousands of research articles that have been out there for years. I mean, and decades that mindset, the way that we choose to view our life circumstances have a phenomenal impact on all areas of our life. That's right. Health, wealth, relationships. So 
the way you framed that was was beautiful, John. And thank you for sharing that. Oh man, and we've seen this play out. I know sometimes this stuff sounds a little flighty or soft or butterflies and puppy dogs. Oh, it's not though. This is hard. This is the hard stuff of leadership and the hard stuff of being an entrepreneur and the hard stuff of life is to be audacious enough as you arise in the morning and as the sun pushes back the tides of darkness again, first you're overwhelmed by that. And instead of grabbing for your phone or seeing, you know, turning on CNN or whatever channel you want to grab and see what happened last night, more fires burning somewhere else in the world, grab a journal quietly. If you want, I, I do this. I grab a cup of coffee. I go onto the screen porch and anywhere from 60 seconds to 10, 20 minutes, I'll just reflect and quietly think and, and meditate, pray over the question. Get ready for it. Why me? Why me? And the beautiful thing about doing that is it allows me and all of us to choose it to then step back into the day. And it is seldom an easy day with the right mindset, the right heart set, and the right ability to navigate the challenges that will absolutely show up. It's so interesting the way that you framed that. Why me? And that can be taken in so many different ways. A lot of people use that very question, but they use it in a manner that suggests an external locus of control as if all of these things are coming down on them. Why me? You're framing why me as a gift. That's right. Why me as, why me with this opportunity to do these amazing things every day? Well, and in the book, we unpack seven questions that can be asked as a victim. Uh, What if? What next? What more can I do? Who cares? All this stuff. Or as a victor, what if? What's next? What more can I do? Why me? All these questions that frequently, if we get beat down enough by the, the fear that is spewed frequently through social media and mainstream media and life in general, we will start asking all those questions the wrong way. And yet, if you choose instead to own your life and own your mindset and own your thoughts and then own your beliefs and then own the ability you have within your life to make it even better tomorrow than today, it will transform what you think, how you feel, the actions you take, and then the results we get. I want to ask you a different question. And I'm asking not the John O'Leary at age nine, but I'm asking the John O'Leary who went through all of the experiences you've gone through. What was the most difficult lesson for you to learn personally? Uh, To have a little bit of faith in tomorrow. It starts today. And I, I, when I was nine, not only was I burned, that sounds horrible. I never want to go through that. Your listeners are thinking, well, I also woke up from one surgery and they amputated my fingers. I, I also recognized that it would be months or maybe years or maybe never before I walked again. I also recognized the physical beauty we take for granted, or some of you are to be ultra focused on, would never again return to my life. And even as a child, you recognize that that is something big being pulled away from you. I recognize as a little one, I'd never hold a little girl's hand. I would never get a job because I'll never learn how to write. I'll never be able to go back to school. All this stuff that I was so sure was, a, was gone. And I kept having these amazing teachers. And that's a very broad term today, but it's, I think it's the best one to encapsulate all. The physicians, the janitors, the rabbis, the pastors, the parents, it's all of them as one. Teachers who would come in, who would instruct, who would guide, who would paint a picture of tomorrow. And too frequently, I wasn't listening to what they were really saying. And then eventually I would learn how to eat, but I still wasn't realizing a meeting again. And eventually I'd learn how to write, but I wasn't really recognizing I'm back in school. And eventually I'd go on to university and even start my own business, but wasn't fully embracing the fact that I was working, I was earning, I was 
excelling. I was always thinking about what else could go wrong next in some regards. That took a long time to handle. And uh, I finally come to a place in my life where I see it all, all as a gift. You and I started our podcast a little bit late because my meeting went a little bit late. It took longer to get to my office because there was significant traffic on the roads coming back from that first meeting. And instead of saying, dang it, you and I had an awesome 25-minute conversation that would have never happened had I done my job and been seated here when you called. What a gift. And too frequently, we view flight delays and fires and diagnosis and market corrections as crisis. More at 10. I'll tell you more about it at 10 if you want to tune in. They're there not to tell you what's real. They're there to sell you ad space. So my invitation for all of us is turn away from that channel. I don't care if you're listening, which side of the aisle you want to hang out on. Turn away from it and tune into life through the lens of truth. And it will change and transform what you see, what you do, and and then ultimately how you live. It just took me too long to tune in. I love that. So well said. John, what's next for you? (laughs) Well, I get to pick my kids up from carpool here in a little bit. (laughs) I'm a father of four. I'm a husband of one. I'm an author and grateful for that. I have a book called On Fire. We're working on a second book right now that we think will be, in some regards, even better than the first. Uh, More on that later on. You and I are going to have a second date on that one. I'm already excited for that. We have a cool podcast, uh, not unlike yours, that just gets to celebrate life and possibility and the truth that challenges can be breeding ground for courage, character, and, and possibility. Sometimes you got to go through. Sometimes you got to have your own accidents to recognize this and slow down. So I, I, I love doing that. We have a cool online community called In Studio. We're growing that every day. And I'm a speaker. But more than all that, I'm, I'm a son. I'm grateful for my mom and dad's continued life. They're neither, neither one of them are uh, overly healthy right now, but I get to love them. I'm grateful for my incredible wife who loves me in spite of my many challenges. I'm grateful for four kids that teach me every day about what matters in life. Love it. John, we, we are at time and we are going to pick this up on another date when, when your new book comes, comes out. But as you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests a single question. And that is, what is your biggest helping? The single most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Wow. So I can, I'm going to lie, or not lie, but I'm going to fudge on the answer a little bit and give you probably more than one takeaway. But I think if you write this as a, as a run-on sentence, it is one takeaway. You just may, uh, you may get points off in English class. So my takeaway would be that you are worthy. Like your life, your profession, your retirement, your education, you are worthy. Start there. Act like it. You have a future that is even bigger and better than you can fathom right now. Open your eyes, your mind, and the heart a little bit more to that possibility. Have a little bit of faith. Children have it naturally. We start to lose it. Grab on to that, that, that possibility that is robustly and vibrantly still present within you and in front of you. Be intentional around it. Ask questions like, why me in the morning? Great way to start your day. Ask a question like, what more can I do at the end of each day to make tomorrow even better than today? That might be very healthy. And then maybe finally would be this one is to have a mission that guides you forward to something bigger than yourself. I think too frequently when we get caught up on the what's and the how's and the tactical and the delays and the struggles and the the little crumbs of challenge we see in front of us. Viktor Frankl wrote, when you know your why, you can endure anyhow. And so with a compelling enough purpose statement, I know you're big into this, with a compelling enough causation in our lives, 
not only can you move through fire, uh, but you can climb mountains, you can overcome the insurmountable, and you can, and this is the best part, you can free countless individuals to, to, do, like, to do likewise in their own life. This is good news. So that would be my long run on sentence, the one thing that would be most helpful for you to hear and take action on today. Well said. John, where can people find you? Uh, I'm at my office right now. I'll be in uh, <laughs> St. Louis, Missouri, having dinner time with my babies. And uh, man, that's, uh, it's my life. But I, I travel out of here frequently to speak. You can see my speaking schedule. You can follow us online, all the social media, our own podcast, our books are all available at johnolearyinspires.com. So again, that's johnolearyinspires.com. And for those of you behind the wheel, who are not watching this on YouTube, we've got you covered. We will have everything John O'Leary linked to his episode at thedailyhelping.com, as well as in the Daily Helping app available on iTunes and in the Google Play Store. John, I am absolutely grateful that you came on. This was everything I thought it was going to be and more, and I'm sure everybody listening to this feels the same. Thanks so much for coming on to the show today. 